Before I started, I wanted to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land we're on today, the um, Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. Um, as is protocol, I want to introduce myself too. So, Irina, Jena, Celestial, Barula, Yanga, Arula, and Bantuanga. Um, my name is Celeste Little. I'm a proud Arundel woman, which up there is that great big blue blob right in the middle. Um, yeah, I, I have just introduced myself in language, and one thing I always say is that I've probably got the entire thing wrong. Um, I come from one and a half generations of stolen generation, and we're in a language revitalisation sort of not program, but you know, we're trying to get language back at the moment. So any language that I speak has actually come from my brother and sent over things like phones and that backwards and forwards from the Northern Territory. So I try and we've still got a long way to go, but considering two generations ago, we weren't allowed to speak language at all. Um, I think we're doing, yeah, reasonably well. I just wanted to also, um, oh, there we go, there's landmass from back up at Homelands. Um, just wanted to also acknowledge um, my mum's side of the family, which is a bunch of um, working-class Clifton Hill-born Collingwood supporters. Um, I wanted to acknowledge them because they're all, um, strong sort of family, trade unionists, um, boot makers, um, brewery workers, and um, delegates all the way through them. Um, and we've also experienced loss in the past week on that side of the family. So it's kind of, yeah, it, I almost didn't make it here today in my presentation because that's probably not as good as what I'd hope it would be, but I'm going to try and race through what I can and, yeah, <laughs> see how I go. Um, just some other information about me because I'm coming from a slightly different field. So I'm the National Indigenous Organiser for the National Tertiary Education Union. I'm a blogger and an accidental freelance um, opinion writer, mainly for Fairfax and The Guardian. I've been an identifying feminist since about the age of 15. Um, and I think that was also too when I took to an open mic session at high school and talked about how should, we should all stop shaving and caused all sorts of havoc. And um, graduate of La Trobe and Melbourne Universities. Okay, so my main focus is intersectionality, and the first thing I say is that I'm intersectional by pure accident. So intersectionality isn't a politics that I've embraced and tried to, um, I don't know, find my way through. It's more because I'm Aboriginal, I'm a woman, and I'm from a working class background that the political values I hold dear are ones that become intersectional almost by default. So I can't really separate all of these things from my lived experience. Um, because of that, I always locate intersectionality as being a radical politics because what, what it's trying to do, the very aims of it, is to liberate the most oppressed through all of the various power structures that exist in society. So once you liberate the most oppressed, everyone else benefits from that. Um, I experienced intersectionality both as a complement, so the idea that you know you're you're taking on a wide range of views and that's that's very progressive. Um, that's 
a wonderful way to experience it. I've also experienced it, though, the label is a slur, and the slur revolves around the apparent alleged ability to split an entire social justice movement by ensuring that the benefits of it affect all rather than, you know, just push towards the one goal. Um, yeah, it's... I, I guess my role, um, the way I see it, is to collaborate with other oppressed groups, but not to represent them. Because intersectionality is a politics of dialogue and conversation and collaboration, and it needs to be a cooperative push. Um, and part of that is knowing when to sit back and listen to other people. Okay, so Indigenous feminism. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, there's always that bit of tension um, as an Aboriginal woman, as an Aboriginal woman identifying as a feminist because it does have a fraught history. Um, and I wanted to pull out two views from Aboriginal feminists um, about how they make it. The first is from Eva Johnson, who's an activist, she's a playwright, um, and she stated back in um, 2000, when I say I'm a black feminist, I mean that I recognised that my primary oppression came as a result of my, of my blackness, my aboriginality, as well as my womanness, and therefore my struggles on all these fronts are inseparable. Another view would be um, the view that Pat O'Shane and Jackie Huggins took. So theirs is in contrast, which is some aboriginal women assert that racism rather than sexism is their primary problem, and that their being Aboriginal rather than their being female is what places them socially. I'm more of the first few. So if I wasn't Aboriginal tomorrow, I'm still born female, um, vice versa. And therefore, I've always experienced both at the same time. I became aware of both um, social sort of oppressions at the exact same time because they were pointed out to me by other people. So why do we need Aboriginal feminism? Um, I identify three sort of reasons we need it. One's the white patriarchy, two's to counteract mainstream feminism, and three's the black patriarchy. So I think I had a, that's the white patriarchy. <laughs> um, yeah, and white patriarchy I see as the social default. So society is set, to, um, set up to see the white patriarchal notions as neutral and other as marginals or other. Um, Australian culture at this point in time is very patriarchal and very white. During the culture wars, which was, you know, the, the, of the 90s, firstly to counteract the views of multiculturalism that were very popular under the Era and then reinforced through that wonderful man, John Howard, who is still trying to um, get rid of his legacy now in this day and age. Um, the culture wars were reinforced to the point where many activists talk about how it's gone backwards. And I think one of the ways I see this every year is, the, um, is during Australia Day with all the cape wearing and the sort of jingoistic attitudes. Um, the reinforcement of that sort of idea of Australia and anyone who doesn't adhere to it is therefore, you know, outside and marginalised by it. Um, one thing I have said, um, like I am in the trade union movement, I find that the class movement at times has a bad habit of reflecting this sort of dominant white male um, 
view and um, where workers' rights, sorry, and nearly every sort of left-wing movement that I've actually encountered. So even though these are progressive movements, I still find that there's a need to actually, um, or sorry, these movements tend to be dominated by white men who, when all said and done, come the revolution, they're already the ones who, um, oh, sorry, they're going to benefit the least from overturning these structures. So, yeah, um, when I have challenged that, one of the things, um, one of the things I was once accused of for talking on an intersectionality um, panel was sectarianism. So the idea that by not, you know, by introducing other forms of oppression into the class movement, I was dividing it, which was a horrible thing to actually come up against. And also rubbish. <laughs> because of the white patriarchy in society, Aboriginal women continue to be oppressed on the basis of race and gender. The most celebrated Aboriginal people, if you look around in the media and that, um, in the mainstream, tend to be conservative black men. Um, and I'm, I've had to... I've, in the last week or so, I've had the very interesting experience of having a conservative black man agree with the point that I've made, so I've had to check a fair bit of this. But yeah, generally speaking, the voices that are most acceptable to the mainstream are the ones that are preferenced. Um, Aboriginal issues are determined on this mainstream sort of terms and are solved by their structures like the Northern Territory intervention, so the imposing of legislation on top of people without consultation and consent. Where we are granted voice, it is continually in ways which um, carry no power. For, for example, constitutional recognition um, and non-legislative bodies like the Indigenous Advisory um, Council and Congress. Okay, so I'm going to quickly flick through issues with mainstream feminism, but um, white womanhood, oh, this is another um, Island Morton Robinson sort of quote, um, white womanhood is the universal and the norm from which to judge the experiences, judge and include the experiences of Indigenous women rather than collaborate. Um, yeah, uh, one of my own quotes. I can't believe I'm quoting myself now. <laughs> White women challenging didgeridoo playing, which was an example I was asked one time that I threw into this, would not only come across as an act of imperialism, so a white woman picking up a didgeridoo is imperialistic, but would also severely diminish our right as black women to enact change within our own communities and to identify what the issues are. The divide between mainstream feminism and other feminisms has always occurred on a race, class and sexuality basis. There are others, um, but the contentions from early, sorry, earlier commentators such as Eileen Morton Robinson revolve around how feminism is narrowly focused on the experience, experiences of privileged white women. So again, that conflict between who is the least oppressed within the current sort of form of oppression and will gain the least from gain the least from that being overthrown. Just a few examples from Australia. So when mainstream feminism was fighting for the right um, for safe and effective birth control and access to legal abortion, Aboriginal women were actually fighting to, for the right to have children and to keep those families together. 
Um, mainstream feminism, fighting for equal pay while Aboriginal women were fighting to be paid in the first place and stolen wages is still something that has not been reconciled within Australia. Um, mainstream feminism fighting for property rights while Aboriginal women were fighting for land rights. Um, I guess what I'm finding, you know, with current focuses, um, I'm I'm very collaborative and I think that comes from the Indigenous sort of sphere, but um, when, when we're talking the more sort of individual forms of feminism, they don't always translate when um, a group's fighting for community recognition. So that's one of the more important reasons why dialogues are ne sorry, necessary. I can't even talk today. Um, what, the finally on that, what affects white women also affects black women in a white patriarchal society due to colonisation. However, there are still issues of recognition of racial intricacies that come into play. Okay. Um, I just threw this one up, so I'm just going to quickly talk black patriarchy. Um, what I've got there is a Google search on Aboriginal and that's what it came up with. So we've got all of our ends, and not a single, I don't think there's a single photo of women in amongst it, which I thought was really telling. Um, women's stories, Aboriginal women's stories and histories are still very much obscured. So, um, and I find too that, you know, our women buy into this as well. So um, one quote that I got was from Nerida White, which is, um, Talking about, talking about traditional culture and she said there was a division of labour according to gender but women's roles were not subordinate but complementary. As such they were valued members of their groups. Um, and then there was another one, this was a conference um, descriptor for a health conference where there was a women's stream. It's one of my favourite ones to bring out because it was um, in today's society, Indigenous women are developing careers while maintaining a home and family life. Indigenous women are empowered to determine their future. <laughs> <laughs> um, the reality is Aboriginal women have been at the forefront of the struggle for a very long time, but because we're within this patriarchal sort of dialogue, they're continually obscured. So um, we've been entering higher education at a rate double what the men are. Um, but yet, despite the fact that we've been fighting, we're continually relegated into the position of the backbone, which is the strong, silent structure behind everything else that holds everyone together. Um, complementarity doesn't equal equality, so the idea that you can have complementary gender roles um, doesn't mean that one wasn't um, subordinated within an, uh, I mean, sorry, within a particular cultural context. <laughs> And the other, the other problem with continually sort of, I guess, romanticising that is from one end of the country to the other, we have had, you know, a couple of hundred different cultural groups. So the experiences of women from Cape York, say, compared to down in Yungar country are completely different. And to universalise that is to buy into that whole sort of, I, that white, um, patriarchal culture and the need to set ourselves up as a, um, oh gosh, you know, as an oppositional rather than to actually celebrate our own differences. 
There's a tendency to not examine these patriarchal practices we adapt for white Australia as well as ones that we had internally. Um, but also, when we do adapt them, um, we, we can label them empowering. And one of the ones that I came back to was the NADOC, um, Miss NADOC beauty pageants, debutante balls, um, those sorts of things. So we talk about empowering our young women, but we're doing them under things that are not necessarily empowering within mainstream society and, society and not exactly examining why. Um, and we also don't get the luxury as Aboriginal people to critically examine our own practices because we're continually having to fight for them within the colonised, you know, sort of sphere. So it's hard to be proud of something and to try and regain it um, when you've also got to take it apart at the same time. Oh, yeah, and Aboriginal women, when we, um, who have always fought for women, sorry, for racism in mainstream, like that sectarian argument that I talked about with the class movement earlier, um, when we do bring up issues of gender, we can be accused of splitting the movement. Um, and that's a real issue. I, um, one of the things I've been involved with, they've um, been doing the Destroy the Joint this year, has been doing the Counting Dead Women um, tally. And of that right now, nearly 20% of those women that they've reported are Aboriginal women. We make up 3% of the population. But to highlight that within, you know, mainstream Australia and within the Aboriginal community is an incredibly delicate and difficult thing to do. Because, you know, you've got, um, why it's happening is everything from, you know, transgenerational trauma to patriarchies in the black community to the reinforcement of white patriarchies. All of these things are adding up and it just ends up being, to focus on that, um, particularly when our men also experience violence at rates of like 30 times what white men do and, you know, and incarceration rates of what, eight times apartheid over in WA. To highlight the specific issues of women, it can be seen as divisive rather than rather than looking at the full spectrum of what it is that we're facing. Um, so that's why I continually try and fight within this mode is to highlight that. Um, the slide I've got up at the moment, just very very quickly, is a woman who in the last year has actually done an incredibly admirable thing. She talks. Um, this is a this is a publicity short from the film. Um, Black Panther Woman, and Marlene there, she, um, Marlene comes, sorry, she talks about her experiences at the forefront of a radical black movement in the 70s, but also dealing with um, physical and sexual abuse within that movement, and how her and other women who were in that movement pretty much had to keep silent about it for unity. So if you do, if, if you do get a chance to see this film, I actually recommend it because I thought it was quite groundbreaking to be able to put that sort of, that sort of story up on film. Okay, um, I don't, I, I have flicked through, like I said, I was underprepared and I flicked through a 90 minute lecture in under 20 minutes, so I'm pretty happy with myself. Um, but one thing I will say, just if anyone's after any more information, um, one of the best things about the Indigenous community is that we've been very quick to embrace social media as a form of exchange. Um, same with the feminist movement. So um, 
There are entire networks of Aboriginal bloggers, tweeters and that that are quite easily accessible and I'm happy to pass on any sort of accounts and details on that. Um, but some of the ones to look for, some of the hubs to look for are Indigenous X on Twitter, um, Deadly Bloggers and Educational Collectives. Um, yeah, I think that's probably where I'll finish it. But I just want to thank everyone for having me here today and sorry that I'm a bit off, I'm not usually. <laughs>